Welcome to Heads Up, a podcast presented by the head teacher, the head boy and the head girl of Open High School. Together along with invited guests, we'll give some updates on what's going on in our school and we'll stimulate some discussions around national and international news, events and ideas. Along the way, we hope you'll join us and hopefully together we'll have a stimulating, informative and a very enjoyable experience. So this week is International Book Week and we are hoping to have an English-based discussion about literature and how it portrays certain things. So we have Megan Day, Lauren Robinson, Douglas Broadhurst and Isabel Alvarez-Guerra joining me, Kate Holm and Ewan McPherson. Okay, so the first question we're going to ask is, how is literature relevant in today's current climate with social media and the internet? There's something about literature, and for me personally, reading something on paper than looking at something on a screen. I mean, for starters, you know, I can read for a lot longer than I can scroll. But it's just, there's something different. It's something with social media is you're definitely not getting the full story. But with literature, it feels like you are getting the whole story. It is probably better to like actually go out and like read a book than to just go on and like Google something and try to find a news article. It's also like the tactile aspect, like you can actually hold a book, whereas if you're just like scrolling on something, it's like a less not intimate because that's like yeah. it's not like yeah. the right word to describe it, but it's like less of a personal Person? experience. Yeah. 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 I, it feels like more emotional to like read it on paper mm-hmm. than it is to like just scroll through it. Like you actually like feel something from it. Also, I feel like you kind of skip through, like, the motions of everything. I, I'm going to put, like, a very obvious example, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, how we're reading it. In social media, well, you, you're you never told anything about the story. You're just told a twist. Oh, Dr. Jekyll is Mr. Hyde, and that's all you need to know about the book. And I these, really hope you haven't ruined that for anyone right now. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of really difficult to, like, enjoy a book because all the spoilers are here, and they're travel super quickly not only that but like everybody giving their opinion i like this book and i don't like this book and blah 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 blah, and everybody so your opinions are swayed everything or like some things are ruined like certain details in the books are explained to you online so when you see them in the book you don't have like that excitement of oh i discovered this myself yeah and also if you like when you're reading a book and you might not understand something you can just like easily go back and be like ah yes or it can be like your favorite part of a book and then if it was online or something it's just not really the same because you're like have to find everything I mean there's only two books that have ever made me like feel really emotional and both of them I don't think I would have reacted the same if I was reading it online or if I found out about it on social media because they truly broke me they were very good books so you all feel that you're losing an emotional connection with online literature to your in-person physical books oh yeah definitely yeah. yeah honestly I can personally agree with that my family keep trying to get me into online books and I refuse because I like the feeling of sitting and actually reading a yeah. paper book. What about you, Ewan? Yeah, I agree. Okay, a controversial <laughs> take here. I do not see the point of audiobooks because I feel like part of like the excitement of reading a book is that it's like you have to read it. If something bad is going to happen, you, it's up to you to just continue reading to that to the climax of the of the moment, and like you like it, you kind of read the book to a certain degree to your pace. Which kind of makes it like an its own experience, your own like unique experience to you. Well, if it's a, if it's like in a in a like an audiobook, they kind of just show like the the person who's like voicing it. Like no offense to them, good job for them for like sitting an hour and just reading a chapter of a book. But 
it's kind of like they're already inputting their emotions, so you're not making any effort to imagine the emotions. They're already giving you the pace of the story, so you're not going to try to think about the pacing of the story. Everything's given to you in like a silver platter instead of actually mm-hmm. working for it. It's not like giving you anything left to like think about if you have an audiobook. Like there's nothing left to like sit there and just think about what you've read or what yeah. you've heard. Like. Yeah, and it, like, it definitely matters how it's read as well because it can be read with like certain inflections and stuff, which mm-hmm. kind of... Because obviously another good thing that I certainly love about books is it can be taken in so many different ways. It's kind of like poetry as well. You can read a poem... Douglas could take one thing out of it and I could take a completely different thing out of it and that's what makes it so amazing. And I think with audiobooks, you're kind of forced to think about it in one way. So if someone, you know, reads it one way, you're like, oh, okay, but that doesn't make you actually think because you're not seeing it. But then obviously audiobooks are quite good sometimes, obviously for people that struggle with reading for long periods of time and just don't always have enough time and they can be doing multiple things. But I just feel like you just kind of get immersed in it when you're reading it like an actual book and obviously you can do that with audiobooks but it just feels a bit more like like Lauren was saying earlier like close and intimate yeah I feel like if the audiobook is like read by the author of the book it feels better like for example Becoming by Michelle Obama (laughs) that's a really good book to listen to on like audible because it's you feel it like you've like all the hard moments of like Michelle Obama's life you can like feel it through our voice yeah that, because like if you're hearing it from the author it, it's almost like having a conversation it's like you interpret yeah. it that way interpret yeah. it this way but if it's like from a second person it's like mm-hmm. well here's an interpretation and you don't know really how this person felt and i'm going to interpret that and i have to interpret it what i just interpreted mm-hmm. yeah that's no no yeah definitely with michelle i mean obviously absolute icon but you can actually <laughs> like when she's reading it you can like feel the pain in her voice in bits and you're like ah so i definitely know and if it was just read by someone else it would just kind of seem a bit bland and like yeah, you're reading this. Do you really know exactly what you're talking about? That's a that's another conversation entirely. But so an audiobook works if it's read by someone who has a personal connection to the story. Yeah, and actually understands how to read it and not give other ideas like I was yeah. saying before. It builds. I feel like it builds up better emotional attachment. Like I feel like if it's just like a neutral voice, like "Hello, this is person and person, and this is the story," and it's like, yeah, okay, like you're reading a neutral voice, you're not gonna feel anything. Mm. You need a narrator that has expressions like for each character a different accent and to portray their emotions if they're excited to actually get excited or if they're sad to so you need an actor rather than just a narrator. Yeah. I think as well with audiobooks usually people have them like playing in the background and I don't really think that captures the reader's attention the same way as the writer would want it if the reader had the book in front of them and was reading it at their own pace rather than just having it in the background, like driving to work or cooking their dinner or something because they're not really paying as close attention as if it was a real book in front of them. Yeah, you're feel, you feel de- detached. You're not putting the emotional investment at the service, you know? Yeah, like def- like when I was in primary five, I think we were listening to a Jacqueline Wilson book on an audiobook at the same time and then like no one was really concentrating but I was actually quite interested in the story, but I would have rather if I just, like... I'm pretty sure after that I picked up the book and actually read it because I was like, I didn't get very much out of that, but I liked the way that it sounded, and then that kind of caused me to do more research and actually go listen to it. No, watch it. No, read it. No. (laughs) (laughs) So we also have a question of how has literature brought social injustice to, like, like, racism, sexism and homophobia? 
Well, since forever. I mean, it, it was always the privilege to were able to learn how to read and write. So, of course, it was everything written from their perspective. So all the opinions were based off of that, I would say. So you think there was a lot of opinions from higher up because it was traditionally used to be the wealthy that could read and write? Yes. So yeah, another thing I'm going to bring up is feminism, which obviously was really important in the 1900s because that's when people first started recognising the inequalities that women had. So you could kind of see that in old literature. For example, like Charlotte Bronte, it was kind of like that subtle feminism before feminism was actually a thing because obviously in those times when it was written, it wasn't that big a thing. You know, it was like, well, women are, you know, second-class citizens, they're just there to look after the kids and stuff. Can I, can I just, like, input, like, a little thing? Oh, a big book, The Frankenstein's Monster, right, written by a woman, and for many, many years, oh, it was her brother who, like, wrote it because, oh, no, women, they can't write, can they? Oh, no. Well, female authors like C.S. Lewis had to use their initials to hide that they were women, otherwise they would not be published. Yeah, exactly, and that was part of the time that you could... They could hide behind what they were writing, but it, it came forward and it was actually important to people that was reading it. You know, there would have been women reading that being like, oh, well, this is written by a man. And if they found out, oh, that's a woman, that's really empowering for them to hear being like, well, actually, I can do something like this. And that's really important today because that kind of feminism before feminism was, you know, such a big thing is really important for people to learn about. I think like nowadays is even more important for books like um, The Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments, but also um, why I no longer talk to white people about race. Like, I see so many of my family members reading that book and then coming back to people like, oh my God, it changed like my whole perspective on things. So I feel like it is important to keep up to date and read about all social issues. Sorry, I just, I just had like a moment because I, I actually read, the, read about this myself. Uh, have you ever realized that in a lot of books, you're never distinctly told uh, if someone's a white person. It's always, oh, look at their brown skin and look at their Latina accent. But all the other people, they don't have to be mentioned because you, you, like, you're taught that every, like, all the characters that don't have descriptions are white by default. Like the debate of Hermione Granger, is Hermione Granger white or black based off of her description? Because it never actually details her skin. We were talking about how authors themselves can inspire things like feminism. But what about the stories that they write? How do their stories, like obviously of mice and men that we read in school, portrayed a lot of racism and topics like that? What about the actual contents of the books more than just their authors? Like books, for instance, that bend norms, that break stereotypes. I don't really have any good examples for this, but I feel like women who write female characters sometimes try to like make them fit into like how society sees women so like they have like a strong male character and like like the like the guys like the one that's like the story's about and then the girl's just kind of there as like a love interest mm -hmm. so it's quite refreshing when you come across like a book that like the woman's there and there is like there is no love interest and there's like a guy and it's like okay there's a guy they don't want to make out that's great so it's kind of it's a good break from other things when you find a book that isn't just about a girl and a guy ending up together, mm -hmm. you know? 
I don't really know if that's valid or not, but... This kind of goes on from what Lauren says, and this is going to go bit, a bit into television, but then I can, I'm going to bring it back. So, for example, like The Queen's Gambit, so it's a great, it's a great programme. Um, but when they were showing one of the female characters at rock bottom, you know, she was smoking, she was drinking, she was lounging about in her underwear, and it's like, right. But in reality, it would just kind of be like not really wanting to get out of bed and, you know, not really caring about all that stuff. But it was the perception, and that's kind of sometimes brought into books, like Lauren was saying, like some authors will write it how females are meant to be seen or the attractive way for them to be depressed yeah, instead yeah. of the actual way. I, I kind of feel like they, they have no control over how their bodies look like. I, there's like a, I, a two different books. Right? One that I remember called Invisible Girl and the other one I do not remember how it's called, but I do remember that when the character was like like having like an emotional breakdown, uh, we get like a description of like how like what, uh, one of like a ma- the male characters is like, oh, she's so beautiful. And I'm like, she's crying, you know, go comfort her, not talk about how beautiful she is lying mm-hmm. there depressed and how it, and they, and it's like, they don't portray them realistically or, or even something as, like, as stupid as like, oh, getting their period. It's like, no, you can't have that yeah. because that's not really fem- feminine, you know? And it was like sexualizing them when they're like sad or yeah. sexualizing them in all these different ways and in really vulnerable positions. And you're just kind of sat there thinking, wow, this is really what society's kind of become. And it's just, it's quite a sad thought, really. It's like, no matter what position the woman's in in the book, no matter how she's feeling, she always has to be portrayed as the romantic interest. It's like, just the side piece to, like, the main character in every single point. It's, they're almost described as mythical creatures, just perfection, beauty. They're as, like, I don't know, literally support anybody else. And then when they're not being supported, they're, they're being, quote-unquote, supported by oh look how beautiful they are so they don't have to like you know you, you like they're sad but also remember they're beautiful so you don't have to like worry about how sad they are because at least they have their beauty and it's like well, that, that doesn't you know yeah you're not allowed to forget about that no yeah it's like of course descriptions are important in books because you can't see you can't see you have to make it up in your head but you should still be going on about what's in their mind what's going on around them and not just their looks So the third question we have, or the third topic we have to bring up is, should classic literature be taught in schools? Yes, definitely. I feel that lots of young people are overlooking some of like the best books that there are because there are newer ones now that are better because they're newer, which doesn't really make any sense when you think about it. Just because something's new doesn't immediately mean it's better, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, to a certain, I feel like it's it's never black and white. It's never a yes or a no. It's like a gray area because to a certain degree, yes, because, I mean, it's the classics. They brought up, like, the new ideas of the, how do you call it, the structure. It's it's the foundation to what literature is today. And also, you kind of get to learn about, well, how things came to be right now. And a lot of literature just racism everywhere. And you're like, oh, then, you know, you, you kind of realize how it was spread out so quickly because there was no social media back then. All you had is books and newspapers and talking. So if you most of the time just read racist books, then, oh, you know, log- well, not logically, but that time they're going to be like, oh, then racism is, is normal. You know, these books said it, I will say it, and I can spread it around. Yeah, I feel like books, like, classical literature that's really important to like understand where language came from and how it's evolved over time but of course 
you can't always trust classical literature because of the views back then. Yeah. I think that's a good educating point, though, is, like, seeing how far, like, society has come since then, like, having the old books as a reference to, like, how behaviours were and then having new ones as, like, like, a point of where we are now in comparison to, like, the old attitudes towards, like, race and, like, gender and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I, I do think classicals are really important as books, but and, and they should definitely still be taught, but it should be given with a big warning, being like, yeah, so you're going to get this, but you have to know that some of the stuff being said in here is definitely not okay. It was said back then, it shouldn't be said now. But it's also like things, I'm going to use Pride and Prejudice as an example. Mr. Darcy was, you know, you read that now and you're like, yeah, that's not really an appropriate way you should be treating women. But obviously that was kind of the time then. I'm just going to compare him to Twilight. Um, <laughs> but kind of the way that I kind of see Mr. Darcy as like an Edward Cullen. Some people will think that's like an appropriate way to have like have a relationship and like have those kind of ideas and ideologies and be like, yeah, so that's how I'm going to want my relation to, relationship to be. And in actual fact, that's just a really toxic way to be treated by anyone. So we should teach these books in school, but then have a discussion afterwards of like, these are outdated views. This is not the way that we treat women now. This is not how people are. Like there is flaws and we need to recognise them. Yeah, definitely. I think it just all needs to be taken with a pinch of salt, being like, well, lots of this stuff's outdated, but it's still important that we learn about this. And yes, you've still got books that don't have great views in them, but are still okay books, but you just need to know that what happens in them isn't acceptable, but you can still appreciate the literature. Uh, like two, two things I wanted to mention. One, uh, I feel like it's important because especially for those ignorant people that are just like, uh, racism just like happened like that one time. Like, we can't just ignore it. We can't just pretend, like, oh, it just happened, like, once. And now, you know, 21st century, you know, everything's fine now. And not only that, but, like, when you say classic literature, uh, li literature, you mean just, like, like, I mean, what classifies as classic literature? Because, because, I mean, Western is always the most popular one. But I kind of feel like other classic literature is always, like, kind of ignored. Like, literature from other countries, not just British or Western. yeah. Because, I mean, I, I appreciate a lot of what, uh, uh, I mean, I do like a lot of Western literature, but, like, there's some of them that are just, like, very much ignored, and that kind of hurts. Like, I understand this is, like, a mostly English-speaking country, but honestly, I would not mind if I read something from, like, other countries that were just translated, because then you can see, like, the point of view from, I don't know, other countries or the history of other countries and all of that. Yeah, I think it's, like, really important that you look at other cultures through reading, because you can tell the differences considering like we've grown up with mostly Western literature. Yeah. So if you take just a second to read something from anywhere else, you can just see the differences in cultures and really like get a better appreciation for it. So basically you're saying that not only should like English classic literature be taught in schools, but also other cultures and other languages, even if it is translated back into English. Do you think that's sort of being brushed over? Like, people just aren't reading it because it's in another language? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you lose a lot of great literature, you lose a lot of great things, just because, I mean, people won't watch stuff. That, sorry, it all comes back to watching stuff as well. But people won't watch something because you have to read the subtitles and, and they'll be like, oh, I'll watch it with, like, the English dub. And, I'm like, you're losing so much of it. And it's the same with books. Like, something will be translated, but it won't really give the same thing because not everything like translates directly 
So some of that will be changed, so you're maybe not getting the whole of what it was. I would say uh, a new Disney movie. Have you heard it? Encanto. It's actually, it's actually uh, a lot, very much based on a, on a book called A Hundred Years of Solitude, which is actually a really, it was, it was like really well known, but it's like one of a hundred, you know, one of a, the millions and thousands of literatures that just like were not traditionally like, you know, Western in English that was able to go quote unquote mainstream because I mean, it became a classic, but like a lot of other books could have became classics, but they kind of didn't because people didn't have it, it didn't receive the popularity it deserved. I feel once like media from other countries gets the Western validation, it becomes more popular. So does that come back to racism in literature again? Like yeah. cultural authors aren't being given the same opportunities as a white British author or even men. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think we've all found that literature, although we all enjoy it, has its own flaws and we have our own preferences and how to explore our relationship with literature. And it's something that we can't take from other people. We do need to go out there and do it ourselves and have a further discussion about what we read and what we see. But I'd like to thank you all for coming to talk with us. And yeah, thank you.